Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Wow, leaders. I'm really excited about uh, the person I'm bringing on today uh, to, for our podcast, Neil King. Uh, Neil King worked with us uh, a number of decades ago, and uh, he is uh, the chief commercial officer um, of a business that is literally the global leader, Morneau Chappelle. Okay. And they are in the space of HR services, benefits. He actually runs their well being division. So if you imagine, worldwide enormous organizations like Bell, um, SAP or McDonald's or name the enormous organization. We need, they need, um, how can we deal and assist our employees in the best way possible? And so he actually gets into it in a lot more detail about what they do, but they are basically the, um, the, the leader. And he describes his progress from, you know, a first year operator uh, with student works to the, incredible career success that he's had. And I know you're going to love his story. Unbelievably powerful communicator, uh, wise, humble. And uh, yeah, I just loved our conversation and I know you will as well. And, you know, what I ask from you is, is I would love if you could share our podcast. I would love if you could share our work with other people who want to make a difference in the world. You know, you could tell from listening to Neil that he really wants to make a difference in people's lives. And uh, yes, he's done well financially, but that's not what it's up for him. He really, really has and is making a difference in the lives of, of people. So um, so please share my podcast. Please, uh, you're welcome to send me an email uh, at chris at leaderspodcast.ca if you know anyone who would love to get involved in our program. So uh, thanks so much. Have a super fantastic day and enjoy my conversation with Neil King of Morneau Chamel. So Neil, thank you very much for joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to be here. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been really, really awesome. And, uh, you know, I know one of the great opportunities that come from um, me starting this podcast a year and a half ago, you know, coming up into two years is that I get to reconnect with people you know, and have a good reason to go and have a call. So we, we've had a few calls since, uh, since, since this podcast and, and hear what, uh, you know, some amazing people are doing and congratulations on, on just the list of accomplishments that you've made so far in your career. Thanks, Chris. So I, you know what? I, I'm really excited to be here because I have to admit, this was probably one of the most defining uh, points of my life was doing the student works painting. And I only did it for one year. So really happy to be here today. Well, fantastic. And, uh, why don't you take us back to who Neil King was, you know, before you joined our program and maybe what frustrations you had, if you can recall, you know, et cetera. Sure. So, you know, as uh, if I go way, way back uh, to early teenage years, uh, I actually was selling golf balls door to door. So my, uh, my grandfather lived on the back of a golf course where there's a river that ran through it. So I used to go fish golf balls in with them. We put it in eight cartons. And the thing that I loved was if I'm going out pounding on doors, getting no, 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 but then you get that one sale, 
you know, like that was really cool. I just sold a dozen golf balls for $10 and it made you want to go sell more and more and more. And so I kind of had that, that feeling of success, but also that feeling of freedom that I was my own boss. And so, you know, you go from there and you go into this regular job where you're working right beside another guy and you're both making, you know, $3 and 15 cents an hour. And I'm working twice as hard as that guy making $3 and 15 cents an hour. And that kind of bugged me. So I was like, you know what? Figure out what this running your own business thing is all about. Because if I'm going to work hard, then I want to be, you know, I want to be compensated and I want to be rewarded for that. Yeah. And that's something, that's something that, that, you know, our top performers really have in common. They work hard, right? Like there is no Neil King not working hard, except again, if you're, you know, you're off, you're hanging out, but you know, when you're working, you're going to work hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you want to have pride in that too, right? 100%. Yeah. You want to get great results. So no, this is something that's really, again, and we always love to sort of hear the sort of links that our, that our successful alumni have in the program and successful people have, because then it's like, oh, okay, I want to be a leader someday. Well, what sort of things am I going to have to encourage myself? And like what you're saying, the ability to hear no's and, and not be turned off and just, just keep knocking on doors or whatever it is, keep talking to people, keep building your business. So what do you still um, take advantage of, or what, what do you still use as a result of doing the program, Neil? Well, I have a clean desk. Um, it's actually funny. So I still remember, um, and this is, you know, we did a, a training session and it was somewhere on the Western campus, uh, Western university campus. And, uh, you know, in part of that training, you know, they taught us how to, you know, estimate a job and whatnot. But one of the things you taught was, so here's your desk. You either have an action pile or you have a throwaway pile. And the action pile was pretty cool because it didn't matter what horrible day you had. You know, you're out there, paint spilled, the guy quits, customer yells at you. You come back, you're like, I know there's there's seven quotes that I got to follow up on because a week ago or two weeks ago, I told someone that I would do this. And so you work through those seven and you either, all right, I close it and I got to get that set up for the next job. Or I toss it because you know I just I just got uh, told no, <laughs> which is fine, right? But you but you always have that clean desk, and then to this day, at my office, right, and even here, I have a very uh, clean desk because it's either you action it or you move on from it, right? And just and just developing those really clear, identifiable habits that then build build together. Yeah, so that that would be it's it's funny though, like that that stuck with me to today, but. You know, one of the biggest things that I learned was is that you can fail and you can f- and you can feel miserable. Like I mean, it feels like the world is up against you, but to know that you'll be fine, right? You you figure out what's going on, you figure out what your options are, you be genuine with whatever the situation is, you be genuine to your employees, you be genuine to your customers, you figure out what your options are, you make a decision. And you create action and you keep on moving forward. And I think that was the biggest thing, not just from a business perspective, but also from a character uh, perspective. I think that was really helpful for me. Yeah. So in doing the program, what did you discover you liked to do? Like, what did you discover you liked to do that you were good at? You know, what, what, what are some things that you saw in that first year, that first year you ran your business, Neil? Well, the one thing I knew I would like a lot was the, the sales, right? I just loved going and sitting in someone's kitchen and going around their house and getting to know them as people, you know, what was really important about their home and their needs and their family and just getting to know a whole bunch of different personalities. And, and every every family, every homeowner was different. So I thought that was pretty cool. I'd never led, 
anybody at that point in time of you know, 19 years old. So leading groups of people was a lot of fun. I had uh, at one point, so I had a night crew because we were painting the town of Newmarket um, offices, the government offices, and I had a couple of day crews. And so, you know, leading diverse groups of people um, in different areas of town was, was a lot of fun for me as well, too. Well, that's great. And so, so you get started in your career and I already know you got, you know, you sort of identified that sales strength that you had in that sales interest and you got involved in some sales, sales roles. Is that, is that right coming out of Laurier? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I started working for Lexmark printers and I uh, got a chance to you know work for them in Toronto and Ottawa, um, even in Calgary um, and up into Edmonton, which was, which was a lot of fun, you know, a lot of freedom, um, you know, and in almost at a point where you're building Lexmark business, because back then it was the old IBM printer division. So you're walking in the door of a reseller and saying, you know, I'm with Lexmark and who, who is that? No, we're the old IBM printer division. Cause at the time it was just Canon. Canon, I think had like 90% of the market. And in fact, Canon even made the engines of some of the Lexmark printers at the time. So that whole concept of starting from scratch and starting from, you know, starting your, you build up your own brand was, uh, was something that I was quite frankly used to. Well, and it's interesting as well as, is, um, it's like the whole copier space in many ways was today's sales as service. You know, it was really leading edge sales at the time. Like that was really where a lot of really amazing salespeople cut their teeth. Yeah. I mean, uh, Xerox was, Xerox was well known for their, their sales yes. training. The other at the time is this, this will show our age here, Chris is, yes. uh, is Kodak. Kodak had spectacular yes. training. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Kodak's not around anymore at leaders. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it's the, they've been, they've been, uh, fell behind in technology. So, well, you, so know what's uh, you know, what's funny about that. They, they actually had their own digital solution, but they yes. had so much, like they were so tied to their cash cow of the chemical business that they just, they just wouldn't deviate from the, uh, you know, from the chemical and then they wouldn't get into the digital, but that was, right. that was their, their failure. Yeah. and so. You know, so you you got the opportunity as a really young person to open up these different markets. That must have been a really neat experience. These, yeah, these different was, it, markets. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun because at the time you are, you know, it, there's sales, but then there's the whole concept of trying to understand what the market is, trying to understand the way the reseller uh, works, the way the distribution works, and you know, like at the time there was really no marketing department that that I'm familiar with. <laughs> Back right. Then. Yes. So you're you're kind of you're figuring out what works. You're actually calling other salespeople. You're calling other systems engineers. You're spending a lot of time listening to people and understanding, you know, really what they're up against. And, and sometimes they're selling printers and, and copiers not because they think it's the best product. It's because they're the easiest company to deal with. There, it's the people, it's the delivery, it's the rebates, you know, it's the co-op credits. And so it's understanding the how the whole ecosystem of the business works. And I think that was fun because it's not as simple as, oh, if I, if I just show them that this is a better product, then they'll, therefore they're going to buy off of me. And that's, it's not always the case, right? I'm sure, I'm sure my crew weren't the, weren't the best painters out on the streets of Newmarket. Um, but no. at the end of the day, I'd like to think that I listened to the homeowner that much more than the guy knocking on the door 10 minutes after me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, one, one neat thing is, is you ended up, uh, you know, jumping to the United States, uh, you know, so why don't you tell that story and what was, what was going on there? Uh, the, the funny part of the story was a, um, a friend of mine was working for uh, Procom and, uh, you know, he came, 
gave me a call one day and asked me if I wanted to uh, open up an office in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I said, you know, I, I'm pretty happy here in Toronto. So, uh, you know, give me a call when a job opens up there. And I went home later on that night and I talked to one of my roommates and just telling them a little bit of the story. I said, yeah, I just didn't, uh, I didn't think it was right for me. And, and my roommate at the time just said, well, why wouldn't you do it? And I looked right. at him and I said, that's a good question. I called my other buddy back and I'd never been on a plane before. So the first time I was on a plane was flying to Dallas to see, you know, what the office would look like, where I would live. and. Uh, yeah, so opened up the first U.S. office for Procom and uh, had a blast. You know, it was doing everything from hiring employees, getting set up from a legal entity, uh, but also like it's it's the things like you know crawling through the ceiling and setting up a uh, like a Nortel phone system, which by the way is is much is much harder than you think it is. Um, at yes. least it was for me <laughs> back oh, in the. It would it would have been it would have been very very challenging for me, Neil, for sure. <laughs> so so that's and that's really uh, an amazing. One of the other things is is like that type of an opportunity taking on those uh, all, all all those extra responsibilities at such a young age it really really propels your career, right? You know, sort of getting out of your comfort zone. Okay, hey, I could have stayed in Toronto, but hey, I'm going to go out outward. That you know that I'm I'm sure that that makes a difference. It does, you know, and so it's it's great. Like the, the one thing with student works painting is that like it tells you to just like at one point you got to take that first step and. Yeah. Everybody, everybody sucks at this business right out of the gates. And, and I got a funny story. Well, not a funny story, but like, and I did too. I, I was horrible out of the gates. You know, people always say, you know, what should you do around a business? And, and one of the things I tell them is go, go do a whole bunch of research, but just don't get stuck in the research, right? Don't, don't be an MBA because there's always a reason not to do the business, right? But at one point, you just got to go and start. You got to go and grab a paintbrush and start putting paint on a wall, right? Um, there's, a, there's a great book called uh, Art of the Start. Guy Kozwalski, and he's a, like this entrepreneurial guru in Silicon Valley. And yeah, you can have the most beautiful business plan, it means absolutely nothing unless you actually get out there and start doing it, right? And I think, and, and as you start doing it, it becomes you'll learn 90% more than what you did in the business plan itself, right? And I remember as well, like I think sometimes as well, leaders may be concerned, gee, you move to another place, you're on your own, you don't know people. But I remember your experience was different, and 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 that might be something worthwhile as well for our young people, to, young leaders to be listening to. Yeah, I was I was successful. I mean, um, in that you know, grew the office to two million dollars in less than two years. Um, had about forty people through the office. You know, Nortel was a massive customer. Branched out into some of the, there was actually a bit of a tech sector down in Austin at the time, and uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely a blast. Um, you know, learned a lot about. Uh, you know, the telco industry learned a lot about professional services. Um, I also learned the difference, you know, some of the difference between the U.S. and Canada at the time. The, the owner of Procom uh, told me that, uh, you know, when you move to the U.S., someone's going to try and sue you in less than a year. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm naive. I'm, I'm probably like 22, 23. Like, no one's going to sue me. I'm a good guy. No one's going to exactly. sue a good guy, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> Sure enough, six months later, some guy walks into my office that uh, he claimed that I, I, I stole his employees and that he was going to sue me for $2 million. And, uh, you know, we, it was frivolous and, you know, we, we yeah. fought it and, and we, we dismissed the situation. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny that, uh, that my boss was, was essentially right. 
I worked in the U.S. for four years, and there was this multi-million-dollar lawsuit that got you know laid against me and and a number of other people. But but yeah, it's it's it it really is a different culture. There are many things that really different about the culture in the United States, uh, and that is one of them for sure. So, yeah, it may have been a little bit of Texas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think it's it, it's it's throughout. It's throughout. You know, people. You know, even smaller firms keep lawyers on retainers, keep, you know, hire corporate lawyers just for the threat and, you know, aggressively using law as a, as a, as a, uh, as kind of a, a hammer uh, in situations where, where again, much, much less likely a strategy in Canada. So, yeah, for sure. So, in, and so what, what was next sort of, uh, you know, maybe highlighting your career, different, different areas that you went? So I, I got to recruited to go work for a, a software, like a bigger software company. And uh, so, you know, after running a, an office and a business for a couple of years, I, I, I was wooed away, which was kind of right. nice and worked for a yeah, software okay. company and uh, started out in Texas. And then they asked, asked me if I would go move to Southern California to open up the channel, like to run the, the West Coast channel business, which was, uh, yeah. So I went from living in Dallas, Texas to living in Newport Beach, California lived on the beach and uh, which was, which was a lot of fun. And, and I was really enjoying the job, really enjoying where I lived. But again, the entrepreneurial spirit kind of beckoned a buddy of mine got $12 million in venture cap funding. He was, he was like 26, 27 at the time. And uh, so he asked me if I would uh, move back to Toronto and start setting up the sales organization. So um, it was too, too, uh, too hard to pass up. So I was able to open up offices in uh, Maryland in Ottawa, in Calgary, and in San Francisco. Uh, so that was a, absolutely a blast. And, uh, you know, that there was a part of that business that we started from scratch. It was a job board business, a private label job board. This is back when private label job board or job boards really weren't around. And uh, it ended up getting sold to Workopolis, uh, just, just that division for, for $12 million. So again, a lot of hard work. But uh, again, this notion that, you know, if you, if you apply yourself, you know, things won't go smoothly at first, no. um, but you'll figure it out and you'll find a yeah. way to actually create a business and, and be successful at it. Well, that's fantastic. And, and, and so, um, and, and so that was, that was brain hunter. Is that right? Was that's that correct, the brand? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, and then, and so, so you moved, you moved on or you got recruited away from that uh, opportunity yeah, got so sold out. Yeah, so uh, the I, I knew the owners. The owners were at that point where they're looking to to sell, and, and I was doing quite well in the business. And mm-hmm. um, you know, when the owners are trying to figure out their exit strategy, it's time to for me to figure out my exit strategy as well too. So I did that. <laughs> it's always safe. So I, I went and worked for a company called Walters Kluwer Health, and they're one of the largest publishers in the world. It's the eight billion dollar company that no one's ever heard of. And mm-hmm. it was, uh, I like to de- describe it as it was, it was Google for the medical profession before Google was around. But, right. you know, so what it was, was, you know, there's these periodicals and journals that are written, you know, since, you know, the beginning of, you know, 1800s, 1900s, um, like uh, Nature and British Medical Journal, uh, New England Journal of Medicine. And so what this company would do is they'd index all of the, all of the articles, not based on keyword. So if you're a doctor, and you're trying to find information on COVID-19, let's say 10 years from now, yes. um, you'll find a lot of articles that maybe reference COVID-19, but the primary uh, point of the article was COVID-19. You'll be able to pull it up rather quickly just because doctors 
basically learn a new language by the time they get out of med school. And so to go find all the most up-to-date information, um, it takes a lot of work. So anyways, I sold, uh, I, I worked with that company for about six years. I led Canada and Western U.S. Um, I worked with medical schools and hospitals all over, all over North America. Which, so it's a lot of fun. I, I found that I had a passion for the medical industry. Um, okay. as, as well as, you know, obviously the, the sales and sales management, but I uh, really like the healthcare industry as a result of that. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. And, 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 um, then you went to the, went, went to ADP and what was that, what was that move about? Um, you know, so I had with Walter's Kluwer, I had been successful in that I you know, did well in my first job was promoted within about six months, promoted about a year later. Um, they moved me to Northern California and I uh, was working there. And then I took, I moved back to Toronto where I was running both Canada and Western US. And I realized I got to a point in my career that if I was to move up in the company, I would require me to move again. And I had already moved and already moved to the US twice now. And I had a small child. And I, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to move to the U.S. again. And so you know, kind of reached that point in my career where I'd done everything I think I could have done in that role. So I wanted right. to go work for a company where I could have a little bit more mobility within my career. And ADP was that, that company here in Canada. Okay. Okay. So, so, so all of a sudden, one of the big factors, like, cause how did you look at the, if you think back, like what were the choices, like, you know, choice points, cause you've moved a bunch, obviously you've moved well. What do you think the, the the choice points were? Why you did what you did? You know, again, and why I'm trying to get in your head is for our leaders to go, okay, I, I see that. You know, the, these are some of the choice points that you had. I, I mean, full transparency, Chris. In, in the beginning, it was, you know, opportunities kind of came knocking. It was like, well, that sounds like a yeah. lot of fun. I mean, take a look. Yeah. And look, opportunities are always going to come knocking. But, you know, yeah. you, you take a look at them and you dismiss them and, but others just seem to be too much fun to pass up and, and you, you kind right. of take a run at it. But, you know, if, if I was to go back in time, I, I think I'd be a little bit more planful around my career. And, and what I say by that, I've, I've been very happy and very blessed with all aspects of my career and the people that I've worked with and the companies that I've worked for. But I think if I was to go back in time and, and, and talk to myself as a 22-year-old, I would say, go find an industry or something that you absolutely love doing. And, uh, you know, let's let's say I love mountain biking for whatever reason. Go find the, go find the best three companies in that industry. Mm-hmm. Go be willing to work in any job for any amount of money, and it could be next right. to nothing. Get yourself in the door and start working at that company because success will find you. Right? Like if you're right. hardworking yes. and you're a smart person, you know, the least of your words will be how successful you are in, in that company. You get that experience. You get that passion. Um, and, and I think I would have gone that road. I'm not sure what I would have done, to be honest with you, but I think I would have been a little right. bit more planful around that, that area. And you get out of school and your first thing you're thinking is, I need a paycheck. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, yes. Exactly. I, I, I got I, I to pay off some debt, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. And, and, and it is like, like, you know, and one of the things is, is, is a lot of times people see someone who's had a, a great deal of success you know, you're one of those people, Neil, and, and wow, you've got this huge role and they'll sort of see, oh, it must've been really clear. This is what Neil wanted to be, you know, president of this enormous organization where it's like, you know, no, no, not at all. You know, you, you sort of, you know, you know, make it in that direction. But one of the things I hear you saying is trying to find things that you're really passionate about makes a big difference. 
And I know for you, when you switched over to Morneau Chappelle, that's something that you really found, right? You know, just that there was a real passion around the work that you do at Morneau Chappelle. Yeah, it was, it was almost too good to be true. So, I mean, at ADP, I was uh, leading Canada and Latin America as part of a global sales organization. So I was working for them in Canada, but I was part of their the larger global group. It was called mm-hmm. Global View. And so, yeah, there was, it was kind of a cool factor, right? So one day I'm you know, in Montreal working with a, a Canadian company. The next day I'm down in Sao Paulo uh, or I'm in Peru working with, you know, uh, South American companies. And um, so it was a lot of fun. I love the people I worked with. I love the company. And I had a headhunter call me up one day and said, uh, hey, I've got a really good, cool opportunity for you. It's a Canadian company. It's in the healthcare space. I said, no, I'm, I'm really happy here. I'm in a good spot. And anyways, he, the, the guy persisted. I remember his name is Chris Lobitz. And uh, he said, you know, just come and have a cup of coffee with me. Um, and I will say it, it never hurts to go have a cup of coffee. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I went and had a cup of coffee. So Canadian head office company, global technology and in the healthcare space. So, you know, for me, it just, it hits so many checks that I, I, I had to go explore it a little bit. And uh, yeah, I fell in love with the company. It's, it's been the most, the most fun I've ever had in my career. Um, and it's, uh, it's been a fun ride all, all around. Right, right. And so, so what about progression? You, you started in business development, again, sales and marketing, et cetera, you know, and so what were you, what, what space were you in, in, in originally? So I started out as vice president of sales. So had okay. a had sales team in Canada and the U.S. at the time, and then uh, had some early success. I was promoted to take on a senior vice president of sales in the account management and then over the next couple of years, I kept on adding to my portfolio. So I took on marketing, I took on uh, a training division, um, and so I basically did that for about six or seven years, growing the business. You know, basically, over a period of six seven years, almost doubled the business to be the largest uh, employee assistance program in the world. Wow! And you know, it was part of acquisitions, was part of a, like a really good organic growth path, part of you know building and developing a team. That, uh, that I'm quite proud of. And then, uh, then I was asked to uh, take on a role of a U.S. Chief Commercial Officer for, for the, uh, the whole enterprise because we've got different lines of business. And you know, for a lot of Canadian companies, it, it at times can be difficult to get into the U.S. and really expand upon it. You know, I know that, that you as well went through that, right? Yeah, um, with some of your some of your your buddies from Laurier, et cetera, and it's it's very difficult, right? Like not knowing the market, and 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 you know, there's a lot of complexity in the U.S. market for sure. You've got you've got no branding, you've got no legacy. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't have kind of we'll call it feet on the ground or bricks and mortar. And so we, you know, we we would get clients in the U.S. And it's funny, we, the, some of the clients would get in the U.S. We would get the we would get the client lives. So what I mean by that is we would actually get business that was for a U.S. company, but outside of the U.S. So like Oracle, AT&T, Disney, we would support their employees in all parts of the world except for the U.S. We didn't, we didn't have bricks and mortar down there. So yeah, we, we made some acquisitions. We made some really good acquisitions. And, and when I say that, I don't mean just the business, but the people. I mean, when, when, you, when you make an acquisition, it's more than just buying technology. It's more than buying the, you know, the portfolio of business. It's the talent that's so, so critical, not just from a skills perspective, but also from a culture 
um, that that is critical to uh, to success in the long term. So, yeah, we were able to um, we were able to grow the business so to you know we at one point I think we're like five ten percent of the overall revenue of of the company, and I think it's probably around forty percent now. Um, you know, at, at least this is yeah. LifeWorks. This is this that, is for Mono Chappelle. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. it's, it's, it's substantial. It's substantial in the, in the U S right now. So had a lot of fun, uh, doing that, you know, obviously it was a ton of travel. Um, mm-hmm. I had, a, I had an apartment in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And so spent a lot of time down there as well as every other U S city that you can possibly imagine. Um, right. and then last, uh, last November I was asked to lead the, uh, the LifeWorks business, which was essentially the business that I started out in as the vice president of sales. And so I'm leading the overall global business, uh, for that group. Fantastic. Fantastic. For our leaders, employee assistant program, because that is basically Morneau Chappelle as the global leader in HR services, you know, maybe describe what that means for our, for our young leaders. Yeah, absolutely. So employee assistance program is, um, like a brief history is back in the, um, you know, back in the late sixties, early seventies, this guy named Ralph Nader, if there's any American listeners out there, wrote a book called unsafe at any speed. And do you remember the notion? Did you ever hear the saying, Chris, that you should never buy a car built on a Friday or a Monday? Yes. Yes. The reason, the reason being is because the, the auto sector had uh, a substance uh, use issue back then. So, you know, you get your paycheck on a Thursday night and guys went into the bar. So anyway, so what they did decide to do was um, put in programs because they wanted to help people so that they could become healthy and become productive at work. And so Employee assistance programs kind of spun off from that substance use, but what they started to realize is that people were suffering from depression, anxiety. You know, they're having marital problems, they're having issues with their boss or with their their parents, um, and there's a lot of these reasons that, that kind of kept people from being at their best. And then even over time, people realized that people had nutrition challenges or possibly some legal uh, challenges that they're they're going through, uh, possibly some fitness challenges. So it turned into the modern EAP where you know, we can be preventative about somebody's health, but in a time of need, and look, you've got one in four people that, that live with the mental health uh, challenge these days. Um, if you're one of those people, you need an outlet. You need to talk to a professional that can help you through. Uh, and think about this right now, people that are struggling with isolation, people that are struggling with depression, anxiety, not feeling in control, um, you know, these are very real problems that society is, is grasping at right now. And, uh, you know, we're playing a, a pretty major part in making sure that we help people get through these, these, uh, these challenging times. Yeah. And I remember as well, like, um, so all of a sudden this, this need was discovered and then there were sort of more passive ways of solving them. Oh, we have solutions for you. But now you've got more interactive ways of just engaging with your with your teams or really your customers' teams because you obviously have enormous employers around the world who you serve, and and so maybe you can describe that to to your leaders what that doing the the use of the app et cetera et cetera and and what your brand does like yeah yeah of course so. You know, over time, we, we added a lot of technology through their traditional EAP, and we got to the point where like, you could do video counseling and you could text. Um, you could start texting with a counselor. And it's amazing how people, people struggle with asking for help. You break your arm, you go to the hospital. You're struggling with a mental health issue, um, and it's known that if you're struggling with a mental health issue, you will not call your friend, your mother, counsel your boss, right? 
And so when we had this anonymous text thing, we got more and more usage. So we determined, we actually said, look, we've got to be able to be proactive about getting it to a broader population. And, you know, if, if we've got 25% of the population that is struggling with a mental health issue, and we're only getting to 4 to 10%, depending on which country you're in, we're missing out on helping a lot more people. So close to two years ago, uh, we, we acquired a company, the company's name was LifeWorks. And we, we rebranded the division LifeWorks as a result of this. But so what LifeWorks is, is, is a well-being solution. And so this starts to get at the heart of being proactive about your health. And so what this is, is things like challenges, right? I do like the 21-day step challenge. I can look up nutrition help. I can give recognition. So, you know, like let's say you and I worked for the same, same company. After this call, I'd say, hey, Chris, you just ran a great call today. You're inspiring the leaders of tomorrow. Way to go. And I post it, and then the rest of the company sees that they may not have had the time to actually log on to the Zoom call. They say, hey, cool, you know, Chris did a really good call today. And then people like give you high fives, and you know, you feel good about it. But it also allows other people to understand what's going on in the business. But it also, we have, we have uh, sections where you can go and get discounts on things like Lululemon and Nike and, and Shoppers Drug Mart. And it doesn't sound like wellness, but what it is is it starts to engage the user. And so if I'm using this to get discounts, if I'm using this to get recognition and to give recognition, if I'm using this to do a, a step challenge, if I'm using this to find, you know, five ways to, to better sleep, you know, two weeks from now, when I'm just having a really crappy day, you know, like it's just kind of getting to me. I've been in isolation for a long time. You know, I'm just, I don't feel like I'm in control. Now I've got this app that I've been using and I trust it and it's in my hand all the time and I'm three clicks away to talk into a counselor live and starting to talk through what some of my challenges are and I'm starting to become the advocate of my own health. That is so cool. And no wonder you feel really good about, you know, leading that that type of an organization, right? And just doing that good, you know, for our community, for people, et cetera. So you know it's it's um you know, Chris, there's there's things that we do um, every single day. Like there, we have frontline workers that we we take care of the other frontline workers, right? So whether it be if right. you're a nurse or a doctor, or, or or you're just on the front lines, um, you know, we take care of the people that are, are struggling. We we save people's lives in regards to some of their some of their darkest hours. Uh, well, we'll be yeah. on the phone with them for hours at a time, you know, establishing that trust and bringing them back into a spot where they can. You know, start to to regain some strength mentally. Um, I've been stopped. Um, I've been stopped. I, I remember this one time I was in Winnipeg, and, and uh, this woman asked me who I worked for. I said I worked for Morrow Chappelle, and she stopped me and she said, "You know, I I, I got to tell you, um, you guys, you guys saved my life twenty years ago." And like when, when someone tells you that, like I mean, that just that just you know it, it, it moves you. So yeah, no, I, I there's a lot of passion I have for this business. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. No, oh, that's great. Well, well, uh, you know, again, congratulations and thank you for making that contribution. And, and it's, it's a hidden company too, because again, it's, it's your, you know, the work that's being done is really being done. Other companies are actually, um, again, uh, providing your services to their employees. Right. But, you know, uh, uh, as, as a, as a way to, again, get those needs met, which is really great. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we've got it got a massive brand recognition within Canada and within and globally with with HR professionals but uh, but you know yes. for the for everybody and, and user. 
Yeah. So, but you know, if you're Canadian, I mean, you you are aware of that Bell Canada is is heavily involved with mental health. Bell, it's Talk Day, right? Yes. So we're we're, we're the backbone of Bell, right? So uh-huh. the training, yep. their employee assistance program, programs around thought leadership. Um, you know, we're we're you know the back end of a lot of those supports that are happening. We just don't have as much uh, marketing power as as Bell Canada does. Right? As Bell, yeah. Or, or yeah, or choose choose to use it differently or whatever, because you're not marketing. Because I certainly have seen Morneau Chappelle all over the place, but you know, again, kind of business to business things at different spots. So so it's a well known brand, uh, but but again, unless you're uh, the average consumer wouldn't know it, you know, um, uh, you know, and 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 again, I think that's one of the things I wanted to identify uh, for our leaders listening. So what about what about biggest failures or mistakes, or how do you look at those? over your career uh well i mean it's without without being too funny here i mean there there was failures early on in, in student works right my my very first sure. job um was painting a a honda dealership and we had to rip off the wallpaper and it was just this thick industrial wallpaper i remember that, that stuff yeah 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 and, it, and basically it was was taken off the drywall i didn't i didn't know i mean so you pull yeah. it down, like okay, I guess that's what it's supposed to look like. And you start painting. Right. Over. We had to paint through the um, overnight because you know they they didn't want to close down the dealership. So we painted right. overnight on a Saturday night, and um, you know the the owner comes in the next day and says this this thing is a disaster. You guys you guys screwed up my showroom, and yeah. um, and I'm not only not going to pay you, uh, but you owe me money. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Great, <laughs> but you know like. <laughs> You, you, you talk through it, you figure out, look, here's what I can do. Here's what I can do coming back next weekend. Um, you know, here's how I'm going to rectify the situation. And, you know, I'm kind of fast forwarding over a bunch of things, but you know, there's a really low point there because I'm a student, but then you're like, okay, I'm going to work through this. And I'm going to talk to you as a one professional to a professional, even though I was 19. Um, and you kind of get through that. And I, I will never forget that failure because there's, there's sadly, it was, it was kind of funny. It was, it was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me that summer because I figured if I could get through that, I could get through anything. And I did it. It no, launched the whole summer. For sure. And, and it's funny. One of the things that we have done and we've gotten smarter about those types of things is you, you tell me a Honda dealer being your first job over the weekend on your own. And I would just go, oh my gosh, you know, we've got a real strategy. Start happiest, easiest customer, 800 to $1,200 DM with you the entire day. Make sure, slowly grow. You know, now we have pictures as well. So you take pictures of everything to try to prevent those things. And on the other hand, the reality is, is those things that knock us down, make us stronger. Right. And, and we'll figure it out, right? Like, okay, this went really badly and we can figure it out and we can, like you said, problem solve it and, and be better on the other side. It's, it's funny. So, uh, back then, um, I think you've got some younger listeners here again, is uh, back then you gave us pagers. And, yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pagers, I know. <laughs> so you have to understand back then when the pager went off, it wasn't good news. It wasn't like, you know, it, it wasn't like your crew chief was like, you know, texting you and saying, hey, the, the owner's really yeah, happy with great. their, uh, yeah, job's right. going great. Yeah. Just want to let you know. So, you know, one of the things that, and I think you just said it, right? So pager goes off, you find a phone, you call somebody and you find out that, I don't know, Somebody spent, you know, uh, spilled half a gallon of, of white paint on a newly uh, on a newly brick driveway, and uh, so you know you go over there and you're like, okay, 
who we got here. And one of the things that I, I've learned early on is to remain calm. And, um, you know, a friend of mine, I've told this story a couple of times, but a friend of mine went and watched a Navy SEAL speaker. And he wasn't just any Navy SEAL. He was Navy SEAL 6. And Navy SEAL 6 is the, the best of the Navy SEALs. Of the best. Yeah. And so this guy was tasked with finding Osama bin Laden. And so this guy said, look, even in his role where life and death was on the line, he says, you respond, you don't react. And, you know, so when they're planning the, the mission, they said, you know, what's, what's the worst thing that could possibly go wrong here? They said, well, the worst thing that could possibly go wrong, because they, they thought they had him pegged, right? The worst thing that could possibly go wrong was the helicopter crashes. Okay. The helicopter crashes. What do we do? Well, if the helicopter crashes, we check to see if, if we can safely get everybody away from the helicopter and carry out the mission because we might not ever get another chance. Well, sure enough, the helicopter crashes, and they they didn't panic. They kept on moving with the mission, and they obviously they were successful in it. But you know, the point is, is that here's a Navy SEAL talking about life and death situations, and and here I was, you know, talking about you know being a student running a little painting company. Um, right. You know, yep. And, and the, the key is, is not to react, it's to respond, is to take that moment to breathe, figure out what our, you know, the situation is, what's going on with the customer, what's going on with the employees, what are the facts, make a decision and move on. Right. And so that was something that uh, that always stuck with me through through all those years. Yeah, no, no, it's great. And and then we get better and better at finding solutions, better and better at, like you said, staying calm and those those initial, I still remember as well, initial problems that seem like the absolute end of the world. And, you know, now looking back, oh God, why did I get so stressed? Well, why? Because it, you know, I didn't have that experience that I do now. I didn't have that, you know, that, 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 you know, time out to grow my comfort zone. And that's one of the things that this experience does, you know, having, having you have that confidence. So what about, um, as you went from a, you know, university student to a, you know, value creator in the full-time world, what did you need to change about yourself? I need to change just taking the perspective of those around me um, and not always assuming that I knew what was happening. And that took the form of both the customer as well as my employees, right? And so, you know, here at the time, like you're, you're sitting yourself, okay, I'm just, I'm going in, I'm painting a home, right? And as a 19-year-old, you don't think you really understand what you're doing and you're not painting a house, you're painting a home. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, so, so to understand that, you know, you're, you're, you're painting a garage and some windowsills and, and a front door and, you know, people work really, really hard at their jobs and they work hard with raising their kids. They drive home after a long day and they've had to pick up the kids at daycare or, you know, maybe they've had to do some juggling and they roll up and they see, this beautiful painted house that's red and you know white accents, and they just they feel good about their home, right? And it's so it's kind of understanding that, having that empathy of, of who you're working with, and then on the other side is you know just understanding that people are motivated by different things, and it's not money, right? It's pride in their work, it's recognition, it's you know I want to do this because maybe they want to be uh, an owner of a, a student works painting franchise one day themselves. And, um, you know, taking that extra bit of time up front to truly understand what makes people tick was, was so, so critical. And, you know, I'm not sure if you remember this, Chris, but there, there's, a, there's another lasting moment that I still remember to this day. So after that initial, uh, I'll call it the haunted debacle, um, 
you know, it was, it was kind of a, it was kind of a bit of a blow to me and, uh, um, no and I think my, uh, I think my district manager, name was Caroline at the time. Um, oh, Carolyn Pivar. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I think she, she was telling you about this and, you know, like you were, you know, you were the, the big leader, right? Like the, uh, the right. guy that was running yep. everything. You were, you know, the, um, the, the inspiring person that, uh, that you want to do a good job for. And you called me up out of the blue and you said, Neil, I heard you had a tough time with, uh, with this job. And, and you said, I'm going to come on up and I'm going to buy a cup of coffee. That's pretty cool. Cause I think you were down in Bonn or somewhere in that area at the time where your, your mm-hmm. office was. And I was up in Newmarket. And so one morning you came up and we met, I think we met at like seven o'clock in the morning. You took me to McDonald's. We had like, you bought me some coffee and we sat down, we just talked. And then we even went, we did a, we actually, we went and did a, uh, an estimate for a couple um, or a family that was just, uh, just in my neighborhood. And uh, we actually sat at their breakfast table. We went through an estimate together. I don't know if this, do you, do you remember this at all? I no, don't, no. I don't. And you know, certainly I remember you as an operator, but I don't remember the morning and that's great. That's awesome. That, that, that yeah. But, but what I do remember is that you took the time to recognize that I was having a tough time. You took the time to drive up and just sit down with me and have a conversation and find out what was going on with me. And, and uh, you know, you, you showed real empathy towards the situation and towards me. And that, that stuck with me to this day. Yeah. Well, th- well, thank you. Thank you, uh, Neil. And, and, you know, it, it, it is one of those things where if we really try to jump in someone's shoes and, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm really honored by the efforts our operators put in. Um, you know, just how hard this is. And I know one thing I do now, and I, I didn't do it back in the day, but I've been doing it for probably 15 years now is every week I'll pick up the phone and I'll call the top 20% of our operators. And, um, I like calling them at a high because I find that they're more coachable, understandable, right. And you sort of discover what's going on and, you know, you, you hear what's happening. Um, and then as well, I'll call also when there's something that really goes badly, right? And, and you know, just because, again, it's, it's, it's nice to hear that, wow, Chris really cares. And, and wow, they really care about me. And we do, you know, just because we do. And it, and, it, and it, you know, especially when there's something that really, again, goes sideways, it, 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 it happens. And then, you know, someone's with you. So, uh, and there is something as well, like you said, to you know, and I know it's kind of a, our strange world right now, COVID more physically distant, but, but getting, getting with people, having a coffee, having a meal, breaking bread, that's something that we really believe in. And, uh, it really makes a difference, doesn't it? hundred percent and hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it also, it's, you know, whether you're a leader or an entrepreneur or whatever the case is, I mean, the, I was told a while back where, you know, do you know what the three hardest words to say? Is I'm to- sorry. Uh, no, I need help. Yeah. I need help. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I need help. help. So, you know, no matter where you are, you're just at a, I mean, this could be in your personal life. This could be in healthcare yeah. if you're running a business or if you're the yeah. president of the company, it's okay oh, yeah. to ask for help. It's okay to, like, yeah. you know, talk to somebody who you trust and say, hey, I, I just got a situation. I just need to talk this through with yeah. somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're never alone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also as well, like one of the other things, and, and I, I just get this from you is you're a really good listener, right? And, and that a lot of times people think salespeople are really good talkers, but in fact, isn't it true that really what, especially as you get more and more complex sales situations and with bigger and bigger organizations, so the fish is even bigger and the prizes are that much bigger, isn't listening even that much more important? 
I think it's it's so this may sound kind of weird, but like it's it's fun to pick up on little nuances that people have, right? Like it's not like it's a poker game, but like when you're sitting down and, and someone refers to you know, their dog a couple of times, or you know, you're in a conversation and then out of the blue they say, you know, that headset kind of sits over to the right. That's kind of uh, you know, tell me tell me more about that. Um, and then you go back to the regular conversation. And there's, there's a reason why people will say certain things at different times. And, and so I think it's just fascinating the way people's brains work and, and how, if there's something on their mind, sometimes they won't explicitly say it. They won't yeah. tell yes. you. So to find these little kind of cues to, to learn about somebody, I think, I think it's kind of fun. Like it's, it's really yeah. interesting to, to see how different people tick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, and, and again, one of the great things is the more reps you have, the more meetings you have, the more face-to-face engagements that have, the better and better you get, right? Like that experience really matters Yeah, in terms it, of being more effective. Yeah, it's, it's more reps, but I would even argue it's, it's more meaningful. You know, if you're going to have a conversation with somebody, I truly just engage with them. Don't engage. do this multitasking type stuff, right? And no, um, yeah. I've met I've met a couple of pretty interesting politicians. I met David Peterson, uh, one of the past premiers of Ontario, premiers, years ago. Yeah. And you know, I'm in a I'm in a room with like 200 people, and he talked to me like I was the most important guy in the room, and I, and I was not. I think I was probably the least <laughs> important guy. Right? I'm willing to say, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like, you know, for that 45 seconds to a minute, like he yeah. made me feel like what I was saying was actually very, very relevant and interesting. And, and I'm sure I was yeah. probably babbling on like I am right now. And so anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Well, you're not that. at all. But given that you opened up uh, politics, I, I'd i be remiss not to ask about Bill. And and obviously Bill Morneau is, is uh, the minister... Uh, uh, Minister of Finance in our in our government for the last number of years, and and you know what what about Bill and his his, you know your interactions with Bill? Great question. So when I first started with the company, Bill was the the chairman, and mm-hmm. uh, but he was uh, he was kind of a roll up your sleeves. You know, he loved sales. He would like yes. he would be here's this guy. He's the chairman of the company, but he's the guy that's like at the printer saying, okay, let's let's cut this slide out. Let's insert this slide. Hey, let me phone this guy for you. Um, but the the area that uh, that I was impressed most by him was, um, you know, he had this passion towards helping um, those in need and in different parts of the world. And so, years ago, he found that there was this uh, refugee camp in uh, northern Kenya called Kakuma, and he felt that we as an organization and he personally wanted to kind of give back in a way that was non-commercial right so not donating to a charity locally just so that the mortal chappelle name could be could be uh, have a higher brand and so anyway so we started supporting this refugee camp and we built a technology a computer technology center that was solar powered because the whole concept of a refugee camp is that you come to the camp and then hopefully you get back to your your host country and you you get back into society as a productive member of that society. And so after spending some time at this camp, um, we realized you'd, you'd go through the schools, right? Like there'd be like a, a public school. You walk into a grade one class. And when I say a grade one class, you'd be like 80 kids sitting on a dirt floor, like literally sitting on a dirt floor. And so what you'd realize is that over time, it'd be 80 kids in grade one, 40 females, 40 boys. And you get to grade three and there would be 
you know, there'd be 50 boys and there would be 30 females. Then you get to grade eight and there would be, you know, 70 boys and, and 10 females. And we said, well, like, what's going on here? There's no girls in the, in the higher grades. And they said, well, there's a couple of things. One is, you know, as, as girls get older, they're expected to do the, do the chores. The other is, is that, you know, as they get older, there's, there's issues around sexual harassment um, in, the, in the camps itself. And then the last one was, is that, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's no high school for girls. So you're going through school and you get to grade six, grade seven. It's like, well, what am I doing this for if I'm just going to do chores, right? I have, I've got no chance to go to high school. So Bill um, had this notion that, you know, like we, we need to build a high school for girls so that they have this hope, they have something to aspire to. And so we built um, a boarding school for, uh, for girls, you know, 350 girls graduating class. We've got girls at U of T. I've uh, got uh, girls in the U.S. on scholarships, and uh, it's just a, it's a wonderful foundation. And so I, I actually uh, helped lead the uh, – I, I started up, and I've been the chair of the, the golf tournament. We've, raised, we've netted a million dollars over the past 10 years. Um, and I actually had the opportunity to travel to uh, Kakuma with Bill uh, right before the election. I was with Bill at Heathrow when he – the day that he resigned from the C.D. Howe Institute. Uh, because he was he was going to be running for the, the Liberal Party, so yeah, I had a chance to spend some time with him and, and really see what he's made of from a character perspective. Well, um, I, I already shared. I I I was on a, a board, uh, an advisory board of Share Life with with Bill a couple decades ago, and to me, he is just such an incredible uh, example of you know who we are as Canadian staff as a leader. Like he has. You know, he's been massively successful um, and there's no economic return for him doing what he's doing in any way whatsoever. And uh, it's it's just so unlike our neighbors sometimes down south about how their their leaders participate. And, um, you know, again, maybe people don't always agree with what he does, but there's no question the intention that he's doing is to make Canada better, you know, which is really, really awesome. So, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. So so final final question. When you think of a leader of tomorrow, Neil, what comes to mind? When I think of a leader tomorrow, I think of somebody that's passionate about their business, but also passionate about their customers and, and just as importantly, their employees. And, you know, one of the things that you have to understand is if, if you've got engaged and happy employees, you'll be wildly successful. If you take care of their obstacles, if you put the tools in their hands to make sure that they're productive and they're successful in their careers, they will give back tenfold to you. But you've got to really make that connection. You've got to have that understanding. And it's got to be a balance. Like it's, this isn't about just going out and growing the business. This is about, yeah, I got to grow my business, but I got to listen. I got to take care. And I have to have a passion for my customers. I have to have a passion for what my customers are up against in their day-to-day lives. And and what's happening in their industry right now and their regulations, you know, are, are there new entrants coming in? And to really kind of feel like you're standing in their shoes for a day. The same thing with your employees, right? And one of the things that, that I realized early on with, with Student Works was I had this notion that I was going to run a painting business, but I wasn't going to do much painting. And one of the things that I've learned early on was like, you know, pick up a paintbrush go paint and, and be up three stories and, and paint, a, paint a ridge, paint with your left hand because your, your right hand gets so damn sore that 
you got you got to just have that that real kind of understanding of actually what's happening in the business. And so, you know, I think the leader of tomorrow is going to always have that balance, that empathy, and that passion towards the business, their customers, but also you know the employees, and, and really understanding what uh, what it takes to to make people productive and, and happy in their own lives. Mm, what a great answer! Love it. Um, <laughs> I just love it. You know, there's there's uh, I get I get your your passion, your commitment, your sensitivity. You know, uh, thank you so much, Neil. Now I just really appreciate you around the uh, the 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 crazy responsibilities you have. Uh, you know, uh, you know, committing and uh, and giving a bunch of time to our to our business and the young leaders who listen to our podcast. Well, thanks, Chris. I, I mean, I, I have to tell you, as I said at the beginning of the show, you know, Student Works was one of the biggest uh, impacts that I had in my life and in my career for sure. Um, you personally inspired me uh, through that time, and and when you reached out back to me after all these years, it was uh, it was a real pleasure to have a conversation with you. Just because you know, for me, I it, it gave me a chance to you know to look at you and say thank you for all the help that you gave me. Because I don't think I would have come this far if it wasn't for Student Works painting for sure. Awesome. Well, hey, I'm I'm humbled. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Neil. Okay. You have a fantastic day. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Bye for now. Cheers. You bet. Bye-bye. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.